And the rest of us are going to stand as we give reverence to the reading of God's Word. Thank you for being with us this morning. I uh, just want to say how much I appreciated our church family supporting the memorial service yesterday and several of our members that showed up just to be an encouragement to uh, Brenda and her family in memory of Letitia Evans. And we uh, rejoice that uh, there were several souls that were saved as a result of the memorial. And so I'm sure there's rejoicing in heaven each time that happens. We're going to be reading this morning from the gospel, or not from the gospel, but from the, the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And uh, verse number 19, and then we're going to jump over to chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Revelation chapter 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to shew unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servants, or unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Verse number 19, write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. We have looked at the things which were seen. Now we're going to move into the next part of the outline, the things which are. And we'll begin with the church of Ephesus, Revelation chapter 2, verse number 1 through 7. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them, which say they are apostles and are not, and has found them liars, and has borne and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. And this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat, of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Father, in the name of Jesus, bless our time together. 
Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And I think maybe I should turn on this mic. I think, and I may be wrong, but I think that sometimes the other wireless mics, what? <laughs> you're going to have to excuse me for a minute while I try to take this thing out. He got flipped around in my coat pocket here, which if it was going to happen, it would happen to me. Okay. No, I won't. There it goes. Now we're in the tunnel. <laughs> Just in case we move around or whatever. <clears throat> that is, we and hopefully the Holy Spirit. And so I, I don't know. We got some, some reverberation going on there. Does that sound better? Yeah. That sounds better. Okay, all right. And you can hear me okay. Yeah. I can turn the mic off and you'll hear me okay anyway. So, as you have in your bulletin an outline there, and we have an introduction, the introduction, we have the writing, we have the blessing, we have the condition, we have the sign. In Revelation chapter 1, in verses 1 through 3, uh, we are told that there is blessings uh, if we will only read the Bible. It's just not the book of Revelation. Because the book of Revelation is simply quoting what the Bible says. The Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the entire Bible is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the author of God's word. He is the author and finisher of our faith. And he is the author and finisher of the word. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. And so we understand that Jesus Christ is the author of the Word of God. He has used angels. He uses the Holy Spirit. Uh, he uses other means. Sometimes, as we understand, he even used a donkey uh, to get his Word uh, to his people. But he says, write the things which thou hast seen. He's now speaking to John. John was with Jesus Christ from the very beginning. He was there with Jesus when Jesus Christ was baptized. He was there with Jesus Christ throughout his ministry and when he ascended into heaven. And now John is writing the things which are. Uh, John spent almost 90 years after, uh, well, 90 years of living, but uh, about... 60 years uh, in uh, church work and church ministry. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified in 30 A.D. And so John died in 90 A.D. And so anyway, he had quite a few years there that he was able to minister. He was placed on the Isles of Patmos, uh, <clears throat> which is a very small island, about 15 miles in diameter, uh, just off from the coast of Turkey. And he was there while God was giving to him the book of Revelation. He was put there in exile. He was being punished for being a preacher of God's word. But God ordained the situation because God wanted to meet with him. And God translated him into heaven and gave him a vision of the things which shall be hereafter. So John was to write those things that he had seen. And those things that he had seen 
are also recorded also by the rest of the apostles. Uh, Matthew wrote what he had seen. Luke wrote what he had seen. And also Mark had written what he had seen. The most amazing thing that we find about the New Testament is much of it is Old Testament. There are 96 verses that Matthew uh, quotes from throughout the Gospel of Matthew. 56 of those are direct quotes from the Old Testament, a total of 96 altogether as they allude to the Old Testament. And as we understand, they refer to the person of Jesus Christ concerning his birth, concerning his ministry, concerning his death, concerning his resurrection, concerning his ascension, and his soon coming again. And so, <clears throat> as we are told, blessed are they that read, and blessed are they they that hear and obey, he's in reference not to only the book of Revelation, but that all that the book of Revelation pertains to. So I want to make that clear. And so the blessing, blessing is upon those that will read the Bible, but there are some conditions for reading the Word of God. First of all, we must understand that what we are reading was something that was not written by just mere men. That it was written by God as God moved in the, the lives of men. God is the author. God used their character. He used their personality. But these are the words of the Lord. We need to understand that. The Bible says about itself, we believe what the Bible says about Jesus, we believe what the Bible says about God, but sometimes there are many out there today that do not believe what the Bible says about the Bible. The Bible says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. That through the inspired scripture we might be perfectly furnished. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Secondly, we must understand how important it is that we receive the Bible through faith. Not through human reasoning, but we receive it through faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so we receive this faith through the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Your faith will only increase as you increase the time that you spend in the Word of God. Many times we pray and we ask God for understanding and we ask God to increase our faith. As He increases our faith, He increases our understanding. As we understand, according to Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 10 through 12, the Bible says, Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest lest any man fail after the same example of unbelief. You see, there were children that were called Israel, God's chosen elect, that refused to believe what God told them. Yet they were God's children. He called them His people, but they were cut off because of unbelief. You can call yourself a child of God. You can be a member of this church. But if you're filled with unbelief, you're not going to enter into his rest. 
It's only through faith. If it's not of faith, it is of sin. And that faith comes from the Word of God. If your faith is truly in the Word of God, it will transform your life. It will transform your thinking. For we are told in verse number 12 of Hebrews chapter 4 that the Word of God is quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit, and it says that it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Amen. You see, when you have a relationship with God, and you understand that God's Word is the very breath of God that He's breathed on paper that you are now reading from, and by faith you receive that Word, all of a sudden that Word becomes alive. And that word begins to work within your heart. It gives you discernment. It brings conviction. It brings into your heart and your life the ability to make the right decisions. But there's one more thing that we must understand. We just don't simply read it occasionally. We must read it every day. Jesus made it very clear that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of the Lord. It's important that we spend time in the word. So when he made it clear to us that there's a blessing to those that will read it, hear it, and do what he has commanded, it is important that we get into it and we spend time with it. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 15, is not a suggestion class. He's not suggesting that you become students of God's Word. He's not suggesting that you occasionally pick up the Word of God and go off to a Bible study. No, He is commanding you that you study. To study means that you get into the Bible, you spend time in the Bible, you don't just quickly read through it. You don't allow your thoughts to wander off into every other different direction. And then when you close the book, you have no idea what you've read. No, you get alone with God. You shut everything out. And in your closet, you take your Bible and you spend time with your Bible. It makes no difference if you read the Bible through two or three times a year. What make, What's important is you spend time in the Word of God. That you read it line upon line. Precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, because there's so much of the Bible that we must compare Scripture with Scripture if we're to truly understand it. And we've got some wonderful helps today. They're called reference Bibles. And you'll read something about prayer, and you see right there where the other verses that refer to prayer. Praise the Lord for those that did a lot of study and wrote those passages down makes it much easier for you. How much time do you spend each day studying the Word of God? And then God will bless you. Amen. Now, <clears throat> let me just say something about the sign. God has promised <clears throat> that He would reveal to us that His coming would be soon. And what's very interesting is <clears throat> the timeline that we find in the Bible. The timeline is very important. The Bible says that God created the earth in six days. He rested on the seventh. 
The Bible gives us dates, and those dates are very important. The Lord Jesus Christ was crucified on a certain date. He came at an appointed time. He lived the appointed time that God allowed him to live. That appointed time was 33 and a half years. When Jesus Christ was crucified, he was crucified in 30 AD. If we base our understanding of the timeline on the chronology of God's word, the timeline of the chronology of God's word takes us back 4,000 years into the past, and that 4,000 years in the past takes you into the garden where Adam and Eve were eating from the forbidden fruit. And Adam, after living for 33 and a half years, fell into sin. And he was driven from the garden. Jesus Christ came into the world. He went to that garden. And there he went to that tree that brought a curse upon Adam. And Jesus Christ died on that tree. And now he's coming very soon. That was in the fourth day of God's millennial generation of time. The Bible says there is a day of rest. According to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 4, there is a rest coming unto God's people. And the Word of God makes it very clear that that rest will come on that seventh day. We're at the end of the sixth millennium. We are entering into the seventh millennium. God makes it very clear as we come to the end of time that there would be certain signs that He would reveal to us. One sign that He would reveal to us is that Israel that would be scattered to the four corners of the world, that is a forgotten people, a forgotten nation, will once be taken out of their graves, out of the places that they have been buried. We're talking in symbolism right now. And God would raise them up and bring them back into the land. And once again, God would rebirth them as a nation. That happened in 1948. God also makes it very clear that they would eventually, while they're in the land, they would be hated of all other nations. Today, Israel is losing most of her allies, including the United States. God also prophesied that in the last days, that there would be a nation to the north of them. That nation is Russia. And eventually Russia would come down with Turkey, with Libya, and with many other nations into Israel to take a spoil. We're living in very unusual days. There's a bear north of Israel right now, and that bear is very hungry. Supplies have been cut, cut off. Uh, we have put embargoes upon them. We are doing everything that we can to hurt that nation. But it's a powerful nation. It's a strong nation. It's a nation that has the military power to bring destruction to the world. And if you read your Bible carefully in Revelation chapter 11, and I believe verse number 18, God said, I will destroy them that destroy the earth. And there is going to come a war, and there's going to be much destruction that's going to be brought to this earth. God has already forewarned us of these things. And God has given us a sign. These are one of many signs that God has given us. God says in the last days, according to Romans chapter 1, that we would find that 
man would be turned from the natural use of his body to that which is not natural. Women would do the same. Men with women, I mean men with men, women with women. We are told all these things would come to pass. Iniquity would abound. The love of many would wax cold. But in Revelation, pardon me, in Daniel chapter 12, Daniel chapter 12, verse number 9 and 10, Daniel wanted to understand what was going to go on in the last days. But God said, no, I cannot reveal that to you, Daniel. I want you to sleep. I want you to rest. You're going to go to your grave. But I will promise you this, Daniel. I will raise you up in the last days. And God will do that very soon when Jesus Christ comes and raise up the Old Testament saints and those resurrected saints along with the church will go with mortal men and women into the millennial age of the, G of the Lord Jesus Christ while he reigns here on earth. We're, we could be as soon as seven years from that event. But there has to come tribulation first. And so God writes in verse number 9 and 10 of Daniel chapter 12. He said to Daniel, go thy way, Daniel. For the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. But watch what he says. Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. You see, we're living in a day and time where they've tried everything. Satan tried everything that he could do to stomp out Christianity. He even tried joining Christianity and stomping it out that way. But the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is so proliferated in the generation of the church age to where now we have perhaps a billion or more people that are now children of the Lord Jesus Christ scattered all around the world, even in communist countries where the gospel is forbidden to be preached. And the Lord Jesus Christ is coming soon. And God has given to us an understanding of prophecy unlike at any other age. So, um, so many amazing things are coming out concerning prophecy today. When Israel came back into the land, they went and they dug into the archives. And they used some of their greatest professors of language. And they brought back the old Hebrew language. And Hebrew scholars are finding out because... It is written in the pictorial graphic. For some reason, I, I got tongue-tied on that word. But it's kind of like a pictorial graphic type, of, graphic type of language. And each one of the letters of the alphabet has a certain sign or picture. In the old original language, we are learning many things now about the, the, the graphics of the Hebrew alphabet from the ancient times that the Lord gave it. We're learning much more about prophecy, and it's certainly in line with what the Bible's already prophesied. Hebrew scholars that know and understand the Word of God are starting to open up their eyes to this, and they know that their Messiah is coming. They want their temple, and they will build their temple very soon. And so <clears throat> it's time for us to wake up. It's time for us to understand. 
how important it is that we get back into the Word of God, that we start living our lives. The Lord Jesus Christ made it very clear, Be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. So God has seven messages to these seven churches. Now these seven churches were literal churches that were scattered throughout Asia Minor. Uh, we understand Ephesus there was a part of what today is Turkey. And these churches that were scattered throughout Asia Minor, Ephesus going all the way up into Spain, and all the way into uh, those various parts of the world, beginning at Antioch and moving up into Turkey and those places that we understand today, those churches were established. And those churches are not there today, but the church is very much alive. And when Jesus Christ gave message to the church, it was not only through the church of Ephesus, but he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. The churches is representative of the church age, all the way to the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, when the church is taken out and the church is in heaven. And the close of the message, I'll show you that the church will be in heaven. But we find here that the church of Ephesus also represents the church today as well. And the Lord Jesus Christ, in each one of these letters to the churches, he starts off with a description of himself. That description of himself is symbolic to a message. Notice he says in verse number 1 of Revelation chapter 2, Unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now, if you go back over and read Revelation chapter 1, in Revelation chapter 1 in verse number 20, he gives us the interpretation of what he's talking about here. For he says in verse number 20, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Now, the word angel comes from the Greek word angelos, and it simply means messenger. And God has placed in every church a messenger. You can call him the pastor. Now, notice he calls these churches a mystery. Why are they called a mystery? Because it's not a part of the program of the Old Testament. God had a program for Israel to bring in the millennial kingdom. God had a program for Israel to preach His kingdom come. But because of Israel's unbelief, they were cut off. And God, through a mystery program, has engrafted His church into that program. The Apostle Paul talks about this mystery in Romans chapter 11. And we find throughout many passages of Scripture in reference to the church, he says, I will show you a mystery. You see, it's a mystery concerning when Christ comes as far as the church is concerned. He doesn't come to earth to receive his church. It's a mystery because he comes in the air to snatch his church away. That's why Paul said, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the sound of the last trump. 
Once that takes place, then God once again re-engrafts his program with Israel. But right now, Israel does not understand. It's a mystery to them, but it's not a mystery to us. We must understand that in every church, God places a pastor there. He's God's star. He's in God's right hand. God has given instruction. I'm not trying to lift up my office. I'm just telling you what the Lord says about my office. He says it's an office that I have placed him in. It's an office that I have called him in. It's an office where he has authority through the word of God to where he must lead. And he must lead as he follows the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not Lord over God's heritage. He's just simply an under-shepherd over God's heritage. But nonetheless, he is placed there by God. And then God has given instructions to the shepherd and to the people on how they must conduct themselves in the church. God has made that very clear throughout the epistles to the church. And the Lord Jesus Christ says that I want you to know that I'm walking about in the midst of the church. I'm walking about and I'm watching what's going on in the midst of the church. He makes it very clear that He is here. His presence are here. He wants His church to be lit up with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is the promise that He has made unto us. And then we see the commendation. He praises the church. Notice again in verse number 2 through 3, and then also verse number 6, he says, I know thy works, I know the labor, I know thy patience, I know how that thou cannot bear them which are evil, that thou hast tried them which are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience for my name's sake, and hath labored and has not faded. But he says, Thou hast that which thou hatest, the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which also I hate. So he praises them for their character. He compliments them for their faithfulness, for their work and for not fading. And then also he compliments them for their doctrinal purity because he, he knows that they hate and they have driven out the Gnostics that have come into the church. Gnosticism is an old Greek type of understanding and doctrine and philosophy, believing that God created all spiritual things to be clean and holy and pure, but all matter that was created by God is evil and wicked, and God does not see it, God does not touch it, God has nothing to do with it, and so therefore, as far as matter is concerned, God is simply blindsided to it. What God is concerned about is our spiritual well-being. He's not concerned about how we dress with this old body. He's not concerned about what we do with this old body because God does not look upon the evil. So therefore, they teach that Jesus Christ was simply an emanation from God that he never had a body. It only appeared that he had a body. There was the spirit man Christ walking among the earth. And it only appeared that he had a body. And before his body was crucified, he ascended up into heaven, and all they were doing was putting a dead body to death. It meant nothing to God. 
They teach in what is known as dualism. Dualism is where there are two entities, matter and spirit. Spirit is good, matter is evil. They also teach that there is a higher knowledge of understanding. You see, Gnostics come from the word gnosis, which is to know. And the Greeks took pride in knowledge. They took pride in their philosophy. They took pride in what they knew. And they said there's much more to know than what's in this Bible. There's much more to understand than what's in this Bible. We need to be fearful of that. We need to understand how deadly that kind of religion is. You know what we call that today? We don't call it Gnosticism. We call it New Age Doctrine. I want you to listen. This comes from a Catholic archbishop by the name of Thomas Winsky. He warns that the return of ancient Gnosticism and the idea under the guise of the so-called New Age is only a new way of practicing Gnosticism. That it alludes to the spirit. The name of a profound knowledge of God results in distorting the word of God and replacing it with purely human words. You understand what that is saying? I mean, here they understand it. Why can't we understand it? You run out and you grab your new Bible because you don't like what this Bible says. So you grab something where the human minds have changed what God says. You must understand most translations out there are not translations, are transliterations of what man with a much higher knowledge than what you have and what the translators of the original text had. And so they could come up with something much better. And they understand that Jesus Christ is not God, so they begin to change it. And as they begin to change the word of God, as the New Age movement grows, so does cultism grow. And now we have Jehovah Witnesses teaching that Jesus Christ did not bodily rise from the grave and what they saw was a spirit body. You see where this is all coming from. You see, Satan prided himself in knowing more than what God had revealed to Adam and Eve. And if you'll listen to me, I'll tell you more about what God does not want you to know. Well, we need to be careful of that. And many of our churches are cow-telling to that. What does God say about that? He says, I hate it. I hate it. And I tell, you, I tell you people, they get upset when we take a stand on the Word of God. We say, wait a minute, that's a corruptible text. You realize that takes out the deity of Christ. It weakens His name. It weakens His person. It weakens His character. It weakens His righteousness. It weakens His nature. Why would you read something like that? You know, and so we just we see it now. We're coming up with all these new Bibles, these transgender Bibles, these gender-neutral Bibles. Well, we're getting all kinds of Bibles because man knows more than God. You know, we are living in the last days. And God has warned us, and we better wake up. We better understand how close we are getting. And then we have the condemnation. Wow. He says in verse number 4 and 5, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou, this is an early New Testament church. I mean, this is a first century church. Thou hast left thy first love. He says, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, 
He says, quickly, and I will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. What is this first love? Well, it's very obvious. The first love should always be love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your might, with all your soul. And the second is likened unto it, love your neighbor as thyself. Now I want to ask you a question. Is Jesus Christ God? Should we love him with all of our being? Should should he be first place within our heart? Should we love him above our wife, our husband, our children? You see, and yet we find today there are many that they gravitate away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And it doesn't happen overnight. Most Christians begin to backslide slowly. You see them here every Sunday morning. You see them here on Sunday night. You see them on Wednesday. And then after a while, they stop coming on a Wednesday night. And before long, they're not here on Sunday night. But, oh, they're here Sunday morning for Sunday school and church. And then eventually you only see them on Sunday morning. And then occasionally they miss Sunday morning. And before long, you only see them at Christmas and Easter. And they don't read their Bibles anymore. They don't pray anymore. Uh, they, they need the leisure rather than the time in their Bible. Uh, and they want to recreate rather than spending time on Sunday. So they're, they're off on the softball field with their children, pulling them out of church. They're, they're off at some wrestling match because this is much more important than their first love. But there was a time in their life where nothing stood between them and Jesus. And we have churches out there that are full of people like that, and they're emptying out to the point to where, well, we can't have a Wednesday night service because they won't come. We won't have a Sunday night service because they won't come. So we just have one service a week. You understand what I'm saying? And what does the Lord say? I will remove their candlestick. My presence won't be there. There'll be no light. When you walk into that church, it'll be a dead church. Nothing's going on. No moving of the Spirit. No convicting. The aisles are no longer flooded. Souls are not getting right. Souls are not getting saved. Baptismal waters are not moving because He has removed His candlestick and many times He does it quickly. Many of those churches at one time, they have two or 3,000 seat auditoriums. They empty them out now. They got three or 400 people. They can no longer pay the mortgage. And so, so someone, some worldly organization comes along and buys up the property. Or maybe the Muslims come along and buy it up. Or the Hindus come along and buy it up. We're seeing that all across America today. God is removing his candlestick. God help us to realize how important it is that we stay faithful unto the Lord. What did he say? Repent and do the first works. What is the first works? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. That is the first works. Is that the love that you have for God in your heart? And then in closing, wow, thank you preacher. (laughs) The promise. You want to be an overcomer? He says in verse number 7, He that hath an ear, do you have ears this morning? He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He's not just talking to the church at Ephesus. 
He's talking to the church at Bible Baptist Church. He's talking to the churches down through the church history. You see, the Word of God is present for us right now. To those that have ears, here's what the Spirit is saying unto the churches. He makes it very clear that all the grievance that he had laid out against the church at Ephesus, they also apply to us. And so we are guilty of what the Lord has laid out. And the Holy Spirit has brought conviction to the heart of that person. Then you repent or he's going to remove his candlestick. Now, the church, in order for us to go forward, we've got to stay together. We're a family. And when we stop dropping out and other things become more important and eventually a little bit more, God's presence begins to move out. How sad that is. And we see that so often. Now he says, if you are an overcomer, then here's what you will do. You will take part in heaven. You see, those that are faithful are overcomers. Those that are truly saved they don't fall away. Oh, they may backslide once in a while. They may once in a while realize that they need to get their hearts right, but they will eventually come back. You see, the overcomer, it's not based on your faithfulness. It's based on his faithfulness. You see, God never gives up on us. Whatever he began in you, he will finish, as we read according to Philippians chapter 1. And so if he began a work of grace in you, he will finish it. Now, I want, to, I want to say this clear, and I want you to understand. For those that drop out and don't come back, it says something about them not being overcomers. It says that they have fallen away because they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because he doesn't give up on his children. He doesn't just leave you to wander out there in the wilderness he comes after you, and he brings you back. He will not allow his sheep to stray away long. He may have to bring you back by breaking your leg and carrying you on his shoulders. But if you're a child of God, he will bring you back. And you will know. You'll say, oh, wow, I got away from the Lord, and now I've got this messed up hip. I can't hardly walk, and God reminded me that all of this happened because I had strayed away from Him. I don't want anything worse to happen to me because I know my God loves me. And He broke my leg and He carried me along, but He brought me back and I'm so glad. I'm thankful that He even broke my leg and He messed me up to where I can't walk anymore because now I know that He's the most important thing in my life. I've heard that testimony time and time again. But you don't have to have your bones broken. You don't have to be chastised in such a harsh way to where God's got your attention. Let Him have it now. And you'll be much happier for Him. Notice what we read over there in the Gospel, or pardon me, in 1 John. 1 John, the Bible says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? You see, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that faith is going to draw you closer to him. 
is going to strengthen you with love. And you one day are going to enter into the garden and along with Adam and Eve and all the saints of the past, including family members that are already there, you're going to freely eat from the tree of life. I want you to understand that tree of life is there for the churches to eat from. Did you know that? Take your Bible and look over at Revelation chapter 22. In Revelation 22 and verse number 1, he says, Blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates into the city. You see, the city is the new Jerusalem. The city is for the bride. The city is coming down out of heaven in Revelation chapter 21, prepared and adorned for the bride. And now the bride has entered into heaven. They've sat down at the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation chapter 19. They've gone through the millennial reign as priests and kings with the Lord Jesus Christ. And now God is bringing down the new Jerusalem out of heaven And now the church, the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ in Revelation 22 and verse number 1 is entering into the gates of this city that God has prepared for them. Now watch what he says in Revelation 22 and verse number 16. He says, I, Jesus, have sent mine angels to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright and the morning star, and the Spirit and the bride say, Come, come and let him that heareth say, Come and let him that is thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. You see, God has given us an invitation to go out into the world and tell the world there is an invitation. You can come to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can come and receive Him as Savior. You can come and drink of the water of life freely. And you too can have a part in the city of God. That city whose builder and maker is God. And we along with the children of Israel, we can enter into the city because it's a city that's built upon the foundation of Israel. And the gates are the gates of the church. And we can enter in and sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Isaiah and the rest of those Old Testament saints and with the Apostle Paul and with Peter and James and the Lord Jesus Christ and spend all eternity in that city. But it all starts by getting into the Word of God and believing what it says about the altar. That is Jesus Christ. What he did for you. What he did for me. I went into this world. And he went to a cross. With a physical body. And he died for our sins. I like what it says over in the book of Hebrews. I'll close with this. Hebrews chapter 2 verse number 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood. He also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, and that is the devil, 
and delivered them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And verily or truly, he took not on him the nature of angels. He wasn't a spirit being. He was a man. He took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved, that word means it was necessary, for him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is also able to secure them that are tempted. You see, we come to Jesus Christ. We believe that God came into this world and God became a man living in a sin, un, unsin, a sinless body. A body that was never acquainted with sin, but going to a cross and somehow becoming sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God through him and his righteous blood. And if you believe that, then you are an overcomer. You must receive it into your heart with every head bowed. If you're here this morning and you're not sure, I believe we're going to be baptizing in a few moments, and that baptism pictures his death and his burial and his resurrection. It's not salvation, but it's a picture of his salvation. But it is a very important step, because if you're truly saved, you will be baptized. If you don't follow the Lord in believer's baptism, then that says that you're not saved. Because he who is saved will be baptized. It's the first commandment. If you're here and you haven't trusted Christ, trust him now. Open your heart and receive him into your life. Pray something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, in the best way I know how, I receive you into my heart to forgive me of my sins, to take me to heaven when I die. For I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you rose again. And I know that you are God and I want you to be the Lord of my life. Friend, if you've never received him as your Savior, receive him right now. I wonder with heads bowed, is there anyone out there say, Preacher, I prayed that prayer just now and I want you to know I meant it with all my heart. Is there anyone like that? I'll not point you out. I just want to, I'd just like you to raise your hand. Anyone like that? Just lift up your hand. Okay, I see that hand. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Let's stand to our feet, heads bowed as our pianist plays. If God's speaking to your heart, maybe you feel like, preacher, I didn't like that message, but I needed that message. There's some things in my life that's caused me to drift away. Church is not as important as it used to be. I don't spend the time in my Bible like I used to. In fact, there are some things in my life that I'm ashamed that you would know something about. 
God's been talking to my heart about all these things. Friend, if that's you, would you let the Holy Spirit have His will? Would you just simply come forward, make this an altar, or maybe where you're standing, or kneel where you're at? But would you do business with God this morning as our pianist?